Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This sermon is taken from the 2006 Annual Missions Conference. This is the first morning service of Sunday the 5th of June 2016, entitled, Take a Stand for Jesus, and the Bible reading is taken from Acts 25 and 26. Here's missionary Travis Snowd. Well, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 25, it's good to be with you this morning. And I have really enjoyed um, coming to Birmingham. I've been in the country uh, about three years now, and um, I think really only kind of passed through. I did did drive through one time and uh, stopped and ate at at Five Guys, and actually we ate there again yesterday, so... Um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's it's great to, it's great to be here in your city. And I just a little time I've been here have uh, really developed a real burden for your city. So I'll certainly be praying for you all as you shine the light of the gospel here. And very encouraged with uh, your heart for world missions. Very encouraged with the missionaries that you all are supporting. And um, I I know it's easy to think well we have a lot of work to do here on our own doorstep, but uh, we're called to go and uh, not just here, but around the world. And I'm very encouraged with how you are uh, trying to get the gospel uh, to other places, and I pray God will bless you for that. So we're serving in Southeast London. We've been there working in a church plant for almost two years now, and uh, we are trying to get a new church going in a needy community, the community of Downham. I mentioned some yesterday about that. So they'll be having services today, and uh, tonight I'll be going back, my daughter and I, and we're having, uh, we have like a monthly question and answer time, and that's always uh, uh, an interesting and a bit challenging time for me to try to think of uh, answers to people's questions, but uh, we'll have that tonight, and then we also have a deacon training uh, session before our service. So um, we've been serving there. We were in Ireland before that for a number of years. And so we're just really thankful for the opportunity to serve in this country and um, definitely burdened with the need, but excited about the opportunities here in this country. Well, um, Acts chapter 25 is where our study is going to be today. And um, we're going to talk about the life of Paul and we're going to talk about uh, how he stood for Jesus. And we're going to look at some different ways we see that Paul stood for Jesus. I'm just going to move this up a little bit here. And in this, in this, uh, part of the Bible, Paul is on trial. So he has been falsely accused, he's been arrested, and now he's in Caesarea. He's been there for two years, basically um, on hold because nobody has the courage to say to the Jews who are accusing him, he's innocent. And so the leaders, the Roman leaders, uh, they don't want to go against the Jewish leaders and say he's innocent, which he really was. Um, and they also, so, so they keep him there, but they also don't really have anything to legitimately try him on, and so they can't really sentence him. So they're just in this quandary uh, between what to do. So not knowing what to do, they do nothing. And of course, that may be fine for them, but Paul, he's stuck in basically custody, uh, house arrest, uh, just waiting. So a new leader of Judea, uh, who was based in Caesarea, comes into power, and we see him in Acts 25, verse 1. His name is Festus. And so uh, Festus is going to try Paul, and then there's going to be another uh, hearing, I guess you could say, that we're going to look at. 
And uh, what we're going to look at this morning is how Paul stood for Jesus. And even though this happened hundreds of years ago, I hope that we can see some things, some principles that can help us. Because if we are going to be followers of Christ, we have to have the courage to take a stand for the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to look at four ways Paul stood for Jesus and four ways we can stand for Jesus wherever we may be, whether it be uh, school, university, work, uh, wherever we're at, how we can take a stand for Jesus. So the first thing I want you to notice this morning is that Paul stood for Jesus in the way that he lived. And if you notice here, uh, this is going to come from Acts 25, the first 12 verses. So it's going to cover two chapters, and we're not going to be able to read all of it or even go into great detail in all of it. But basically what happens is, is when Festus, this new leader of the province of Judea, when he comes into power, he goes up to Jerusalem. We see that in verse 1. He ascends from Caesarea to Jerusalem. When he gets there, verse 2 tells us the priest, the high priest and the chief of the Jews, uh, basically bring up Paul. They wanted Paul dead. Uh, why did they want Paul dead? Does anybody have any thoughts? Maybe do you know the story or anything? What was? Why did they not like Paul? We'll do a little bit of interaction here this morning, so feel free to kind of uh, talk to me. So, what do you think? That's right. So, so one of the reasons was he was teaching something that really said all that you've been trusting in is not good enough. Very good. So, anybody else want to add something to why they hated Paul so much? He preached Christ, didn't he? And what had they done with Christ? They had crucified him. And so they rejected Christ, and he is saying, the one you rejected was your Messiah. That was a tough pill to swallow. That's hard for anybody, isn't it, to come to the point in your life where you're willing to say, I got it wrong. I was wrong. What I've been, what I've been believing and trusting in was wrong. So they want Paul dead. They see him as the enemy. Probably another reason is because he used to be one of them. And uh, in a sense, it's like he's turned his back on them. And when we were in Northern Ireland for a while, that was a big challenge for people to come to Christ, especially from the Catholic community, because uh, they would say, they had this phrase, they've turned. And that was, they've, they've sort of sold us out. They've betrayed us. They've went to the other side. They've went to the dark side, so to speak, and they have betrayed us. And so Paul here uh, is preaching a message that they don't like. And we have to understand that often if we are going to stand for Jesus and talk about Jesus, we will receive abuse and hatred and rejection simply for the message we give. Now, sometimes people can, can be offensive in the way they share the message. And we, you know, if we got in the community, maybe we go door to door, and I'm walking through people's gardens and knocking over their flower pots and hopping over walls to save me time, and somebody shouts at me, well, that's not really persecuted for Christ. That's persecuted for being just a bit daft, you know? So, but the message itself is offensive, and as loving as we try to be, sometimes people just don't like the fact that we're talking about Jesus. And so we have to understand that. So they want Paul dead. And if you notice now in verse 7, um, they come down to Caesarea. Paul refuses to go up to Jerusalem to be tried. He's certain they're going to try to ambush him as they had before. 
And look what it says in verse 7. They lay many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. Time and again, they have tried to bring complaints against Paul, but there's been no evidence. And in the lack of evidence, they just decide, well, let's just make more accusations against him. And maybe they'll think because there's so much smoke, there must be fire somewhere. Because there's so many accusations, he must be a bad guy and we'll get rid of him. But the Romans are saying, we don't see any proof. Where's your witnesses? Where's, there's nothing here. Paul says in verse 8, he says, uh, neither against the law of the Jews, against the temple, against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. He says, look, I've done nothing. And they can't prove it. And that was exactly the way it was. And so Paul here has lived his life in such a way that no one could bring an accusation against him. And Paul here is a good example for us that one of the ways we can stand for Jesus is in the way that we live. If we are sharing the message of the gospel, but our life is not consistent with that message, then we undermine that message. Uh, we went to Wales um, maybe a year and a half ago, and we went to, there's a castle out there, as there's you know lots of castles in Wales especially, but there's a castle called, I think it's Caerphilly Castle, or however you say the Welsh name. How many think Welsh names are hard to say? You know, you, have no, you don't have a clue, you know? Uh, you, you, you say it, and then they say it, and you think, how did you get that out of that? Uh, but you had a Welsh speaker here, or Welsh guy earlier, didn't you, Darren Rogers? But um, this big castle, uh, it was a lovely castle, but uh, there was one tower that was leaning way out. It hadn't fallen over, but they said that it had been undermined. And basically what they would do is they would try to tunnel underneath the, the tower, or the wall, or castle. They would put some explosives or something and try to, in a sense, destroy the castle from below. Well, when we live a life that is not consistent with the gospel, when we live in a way that is, isn't the way Christ would want us to live, we undermine our message. And we can be giving out thousands of gospel leaflets. We can be a witnessing to people. But if our life isn't lived for the glory of God, then we kind of undermine it. How many of you had the experience you tried to talk to somebody about Jesus and somebody said, oh, I don't want to hear about that because I knew a Christian or I knew a church and they did such and such. How many of you had that experience before? How did, how did it impact your witness? It undermines it. They use things like, well, you know, you're in it for the money, you know, because they see the, the TV guys doing it for the money. Um, so here's, here's the thing we have to consider is let's not give them any more ammunition. Let's not undermine the gospel message by our life. And we have to really ask God to help us in this area. Now, I just want to say a couple things about this. Uh, first of all, we need to remember that we're not talking about earning our salvation by good living, okay? So uh, we, we can't live good on our own. Paul uh, would emphasize that. And Paul said, I lived a good life, but that didn't save me. So we're not talking about that. But what we are, what we are need to see is that if we have believed on Jesus, then we have a new nature, and good living, if we can put it that way, is actually who we are. We don't live good to become a Christian. 
we should live good because we are a Christian. The real hypocrisy is when a child of God lives like a child of the world, a child of Satan. That's not who we are. And sometimes we feel this pressure. We think, well, I just, you know, I can't change. I can't get victory in this area, whatever it might be in our life. But really, if you're, if you're saved, you are a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, does anybody know? It says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are become new. That's not who we are anymore. Uh, whenever, um, my, uh, whenever I got married to my wife, some of you met her or yesterday, she, uh, her, her maiden name was Smith, but when she married me, it became Snowed. Now, after we got married, all things, in a sense, became new. She was a new person. I mean, I was kind of a new person as well, but her name had changed, hadn't it? And there might have been times after we got married, she would have thought, well, this is the way I've always used to do, doing things. But then she'd have to remember, well, now we, she's in a new family, and she has a new identity. And so she's having to learn to live that out. And when we get saved, we become new. We just have to learn to live that out. So it's really inconsistent for us not to follow God's teachings if we're a child of God. So think about in your own life, what areas of your life might hinder the work of the gospel? Even sometimes areas of liberty. Maybe there are certain things that aren't spelled out black and white, right or wrong, but maybe it could be offensive to someone. Maybe someone who's a a new Christian or somebody who uh, is considering the faith, and we sort of do something that we think, well, I feel like I can do this and it'd be okay, but how's that going to impact what somebody feels about the gospel? When uh, we were in Northern Ireland, uh, a lot of the people and the first church we were in it was um, it was like a it was a very Protestant area. You know, have you heard of Ian Paisley, that that guy? So so it was a very Protestant. They were really big on keeping this the Sabbath. They saw Sunday as the Sabbath, and without getting into that d- debate, um, they found it very offensive if you uh, shopped on a Sunday, ate out on a Sunday, and especially if you were a pastor. And so we had to kind of change some of the things maybe that we didn't feel were necessarily wrong, but we didn't want to cause offense to the people we were trying to reach with the gospel. So we want to think not just about right and wrong, but we want to think about causing offense. Can you guys think of any ideas in our life where we would need to uh, be careful or uh, that might be uh, important for us as Christians to think about because it could undermine the gospel? What do you think? Any, Any ideas or... Areas maybe in your own life where you've had to sort of think about these things. It's it is even challenging to discuss it because you know I could bring up other examples, but maybe so there might be somebody that well that actually is wrong. So it's it's challenging you know to even discuss this because um, some people can feel quite strongly about certain areas and others don't. But but I think we just need to be very aware that people are watching us. And they are they observing us, and if uh, and much of how they receive our message is going to come from how they perceive we live our life. And so Paul here, I think, is a great example because they could not. They tried to accuse him. They brought they, and they're going to accuse us, but none of the accusations stuck. Everyone knew they were lying, and so we need to consider 
how we live. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 31 to 33, maybe you can turn over there with me, and maybe somebody could actually read those verses for us. So 1 Corinthians 10, and look at verses 31 to 33, and maybe somebody be willing to read, read that for us. Who would be willing to do that? See, I'm, not, I'm making you work for it today. <laughs> not doing all the work for you. All right, volunteer, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 to 33. Not everybody at once now. Yes, ma'am, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. So if you notice here, what does Paul say, verse 31? He says, even how you, what you eat or what you drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Paul would even consider how's what I eat and what I drink going to affect the cause of Christ? How's it going to, is it going to bring glory to God or not? Verse 32, he then goes on, he says, I don't want to offend anyone, not the Jews, not the Gentiles, uh, not even the church of God. He said, even as I please all men in all things. And see, here's the thing about it. Most of the time, we're more thinking about, well, what what do I want to do? But Paul says, it doesn't matter what I want to do. What matters is, is how's this going to affect others and how's it going to affect the cause of Christ? Not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Imagine somebody came to England and said, um, I don't like tea. You know, well, you'd be saying, you're in the wrong country, mate. You need to go back wherever you're from, you know. Or can you make my tea sweet and cold? You know, there's no, that's not the way we do things here. Is it wrong to have tea cold? Now, in this country, you say, that's, that's a sin against God, you know. <laughs> I don't know of a verse that says that. Um, but you might feel that way. But could it be mildly offensive or maybe cause someone to think, well, uh, you, don't, you don't drink hot tea, right? Um, well, I don't know. It, could, it, it would be better if you just say yes. Give me a cup of tea. Lovely. You know, put 12 sugars in it. I'll have, you know, fantastic. And a, very, and a load of biscuits. No problem. The first time I ever had tea was, was in Ireland. And um, the Irish, they take it to a whole nother level. I don't know if it's because it's so cold and wet and rainy. They have nothing better to do. But we were invited for tea. And there was tea. But it was almost lost in the midst of a table covered with like all, like all the cakes and the stuff, you guys, with just all that stuff all over. And I thought, I love tea. And I especially love all the sweet stuff that comes along with it. So Paul was like, if you're having tea, I'm having tea. If you're having coffee, I'm having coffee. Because I don't want to do anything that hurts the message of the gospel. What are we doing that could be hurting the message of the gospel? All right, let's, um, any questions or comments there quickly before we move to the next point? Yes. Yeah, and I think, you know, sadly, like you say, sometimes missionaries don't do as good a job as they should in that. But we as well, you know, if we're going to reach even somebody from uh, from another another culture who may be living in England now, well, try the food. It's not going to kill you. I mean, they're living, you know, so um, just, um, yeah, I think just be aware that, um, our actions speak louder than words, don't they? And here we are trying to give them the gospel, but if we are offending them in the way we are living or talking or acting, then we, again, we undermine the message. And Paul's message was built on a life of integrity. And he could honestly say, 
I've, not, I've tried not to offend anyone. We just want to make sure if we do offend, it's, it's over the message of the gospel, not over something we've done. But, that, but that's at some point, and they may, even bl- they may even accuse you of something, but it could be unfounded. And so it is a balance, isn't it, between being sensitive but not hiding our, our message. Yeah. Let's uh, look at something else, and if we can, if you go back to Acts 25, this is going to come from verses 13 to verse 27. And the point here is going to be, uh, first point was to take a stand for Jesus in the way we live. And this, this next point is to take a stand for Jesus even when we're intimidated or in, in spite of intimidating people. Because what happens in verses 13 to 27 is the governor, Festus, has some visiting dignitaries, we could say. Um, Herod Agrippa, we probably heard of several Herods, or several Herods in the Bible. He comes from a, a line of kind of uh, very dodgy um, kings. And um, they will, they'll have a little chat, they'll have some time together, and then Festus will bring up Paul, and he'll, he'll bring up Paul's case. And uh, Herod uh, says, yeah, I would like to actually hear him for myself. That sounds interesting. You know, I mean, these guys have nothing better to do with the times I get. And, um, and so they arrange a time for Herod and Bernice and really all the people of the city. If you look now, verse 23 or verse 22 says, Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would also hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, thou shalt hear him. And on the morrow, when Agrippa was come... And Bernice, and notice this, with great pomp, that just means with lots of sort of ceremony and, you know, everybody's dressed to the, to the nines and everybody's looking their very, very best and um, everybody's seeing who's who and who's there. They enter into the palace of hearing with the chief captains. They're there, the principal men of the city. And then at Festus' command, Paul was brought forth. So you can see the contrast here because you have, if you can imagine, sort of, you know, this big sort of uh, stand of important people and everybody's put on their very best, and then here's Paul in chains speaking. Everything was designed to intimidate Paul. And in many ways, that may be how you feel. I know it's how I often feel when I'm giving the gospel message I feel as if, what do I think that little me is going to accomplish with all these onlooking people? They've got money, they've got education, they've got um, all sorts of pleasures, they've got everything the world can offer. And in many ways, we live in a way that few generations ever have. There's so we have so many um, things that we can like have our own kingdom. And then we go out and say, can I talk to you about Jesus? And we may be tempted to think, this isn't going to work. This is a waste of time. But Paul here is not intimidated. In verse um, 24, um, Festus is going to say, here he is, here's the guy. And um, then in, verse, in chapter 26, Paul is going to speak, and we'll look at that in just a second. But Paul here is not intimidated. And we have to 
ask God to help us not be intimidated. Now, I want to give you quickly something that may help you think about this. Have you ever been somewhere, maybe you were doing outreach or you're you're visiting a friend and they had a really big, scary dog? How many of you have experienced that? This dog, and they, or maybe you're at the park or something and you see this dog and you think, man, this dog looks like it could eat me. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? You know those kind of dogs, okay? Well, you see this dog coming and the owner, of course, says, oh, don't worry. He, you know, he wouldn't hurt a flea. And you're thinking, yeah, why is he, you know, why is he drooling and snarling? You know, <laughs> I might be the flea he will hurt, you know. He sees me as a flea to crush. So you see this dog and you can't focus on anything else. But then imagine you see this and you start, you start screaming, you know. Obviously, none of us guys would ever scream. But you, you start running. And says, so oh, are you running? What are you running from? You say, oh, I saw a little, I saw a little spider on the ground. That would be a bit, a bit shocking because you think, big, big, scary dog, why are you afraid of a little spider? Are you with me? I know there's a ridiculous illustration. But in many ways, everything you're scared about is like that little tiny spider. It's small, really. The thing we should be concerned about is not the spider, but the dog. And the thing that you and I should be concerned about is not what men think, but what God thinks. Now, the illustration is limited because I don't, God's not a big, scary dog that's going to try to destroy his, his children. Are you with me? But Paul here, why was he not afraid of these, of these big, important people? Because Paul wasn't living for them. He was living for God, wasn't he? And Paul, his fear and respect and thought processes was not, what does the governor, the king think? It was, what does my heavenly father think? Jesus even said, don't fear them that can kill your body, but fear him that has the power to cast your soul into hell. In other words, don't worry about what men think. All they can do is take your body. That's the worst they can do to us. But God, he is the great God of heaven. And if we see how big and powerful he is, then we will not be so much worried about what do men think. And here's what our God has told us. Go and preach the gospel. And it's by the foolishness of preaching that people are saved. And you're going to think, what can I accomplish for the work of the gospel? Here we are in a big city of Birmingham, 99% 99% of the people don't believe in Jesus Christ, don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ. What can Bethel Free Baptist Church do? It's really just a waste of time, and they're not going to want to listen. Well, that might make sense on a human level, but from, a, from God's perspective, he says, no, you are exactly my plan. Bethel Free Baptist Church is God's plan to reach this city for Christ. And you might think, well, we don't have a lot of money, and we don't have a lot of talent, and we don't have this, and we don't have that. But you do have Jesus Christ. You do have the Holy Spirit. And God has the light here in this church, and he says, I want to use you. So let's not be afraid, and let's not feel intimidated, and let's not feel unable because God's chosen us. God has chosen weak people to confound the wise. He's chosen the little things, the little people to to confound the mighty. God has chosen us. We are his plan. And it wasn't wasn't like he said, well, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll just have to use a church. No, he chose us. We're his team, and he wants to use us. So let's not be afraid. Let's 
to get our hearts full of how big our God is and think, you know what, one day, that person I'm afraid to talk to about Jesus, I'm not going to stand before them. I'm going to stand before the God of heaven, and I'm going to give an account to him. They're not, they're not my judge. He's my judge. Who, whoever you're intimidated by, whoever you're scared about, and be, to believe, believe me, just being a pastor or missionary doesn't mean you never get afraid about talking to people about Jesus. It's just normal. Um, but our thought process needs to be, I'm most concerned about what does God think? So we can take a stand for God by not being intimidated by sometimes intimidating people. Let me quickly give you two other things, and then I'll hopefully have a little chance at the end for a bit more discussion or comments if you have them. And the third, the third thing is to take a stand for Jesus and the words you speak. This comes from uh, chapter 26 all the way down to verse 28. And uh, we're not going to read all these, these verses because it's quite lengthy. But Paul here is given a chance to speak. And if you look in verse 1, it says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak, thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Now, if you think about it, here you are, you've been basically in custody for well over two years. Your chances of getting free are getting slimmer and slimmer. The authorities don't seem to have the stomach to let you go. The Jews are putting more and more pressure on the authority. Your accusers, they hate you, they want you dead. Um, And now you have a chance to speak. What would you say? What would I say? Well, I would probably say anything that I thought could get me out of there. Look, I promise, you know, to be a really good person, and uh, you know, I, I I promise to 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 you know whatever you'd want to please these people, or you might just not say much, but you think whatever you do, don't offend them. Last thing you do is preach to them. You know, that's really offensive. You know, people can stomach almost anything except preaching. But the Apostle Paul, he's not worried about getting free. Apostle Paul is worried about telling the message. And so Paul says, uh, he stretches forth his hand and he says, well, I'm very glad that I can uh, talk to you, King Agrippa, because I know that you know a lot, and I'm paraphrasing, okay, you know a lot about the the customs of the Jews. And um, so he's going to go down through here. And basically what he does is he tells his story. He talks about how he grew up. As a Jew, how he um, believed in the promise of the Jews, of the coming Messiah. And uh, then he found out about these followers of a guy named Jesus. He thought they were wrong. He went about to try to kill and persecute them. Then he met Jesus for himself on the road to Damascus. His eyes were opened to who Jesus Christ was. He was commissioned uh, to go and preach about Jesus and he goes on, and he's, and he's going to uh, continue on and to give out the message. Now, Paul here shows us that one of the ways we need to stand for Jesus is in the words that we speak. You know, yes, we need to live a life that doesn't cause offense. But at some point, we have to open our mouths and we have to talk for the Lord. And that is the hardest thing in the world, isn't it? It's so challenging it feels so scary to simply open our mouths and to say, um, you know, I know we've been friends a long time, but I've never told you about something really important in my, someone really important in my life. Oh, yeah, who's that? Jesus Christ. Oh, I didn't, 
think you were one of those, but it makes sense now. I can see your life. Or let me ask you this. Do you know for sure if something was to happen to you that you would go to heaven? Do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? Whatever, whatever tool, whatever thing helps you uh, to think about sharing your faith, and, and I'll just put a little quick plug in. There's a little book that I think is very helpful called Sharing Jesus Without Fear. If you can get a copy on Amazon or something, it's really good. But whatever method you use, it does require opening your mouth and speaking. And isn't it funny? We can talk about the weather. We can talk about the rain. We can talk about the sports. We can talk about uh, the news. But when it comes to talking about Jesus, it's real hard. But if we're going to stand for Jesus, we are going to have to use the mouth that God has given to us. Or to use, maybe you say, well, I, I, don't, I don't get out a lot. I don't meet a lot of people. Well, you could write letters. My my mom, she is a letter-writing machine, and she has witnessed to hundreds of people, and she just takes a piece of paper out and says, can I tell you something amazing that happened to me? And she puts some Bible verses in there, and she writes it, relatives, friends, family. Uh, she, she uses that. But find a way to speak the message. Some people even use... Um, Facebook or Twitter, you know, but really we should just be using everything we can to get the message out, to try to talk to people about Jesus. Paul here is more committed to speaking the truth of the gospel than he was to protecting his own skin. He realized the worst thing that could happen would be for him to deny Christ and the gospel, not that he would die. And here's the thing, if we can get to the stage in our life where we aren't so worried about us, because that's why we don't want to talk, isn't it? That's why we don't want to speak, because we're afraid, what if they reject me? And how will that make me feel? Well, Paul's like, I'm over that. I've been rejected more times than I can count, so here goes nothing. You know, I'm used to that. We just have to get over ourselves a little bit, don't we? And the amazing thing about it is, if we'll just kind of start the ball rolling down the hill and we'll just make that first conversation, you and I might just be surprised at how God may have already been working and how he'll even, you might think, well, I won't know what to say. You'll be surprised what the Holy Spirit will help you remember. And here's the thing about it. Even if you think, well, they probably got all the answers. No, they don't. Because most people aren't sitting at home studying, how do I respond to a Christian, you know? And if you come across one of those, just say, can I write down your question and speak to my pastor about that? I'll get back to you on that. But most people, they've got a few little straw men. Yeah, what about all the suffering in the world? But they've not given it a lot of thought. And if you'll just simply say, well, can I share you something from the Bible? And you just sow a little seed, and they might walk away, and you think, man, that was a waste of time. But it wasn't, because the Holy Spirit will use the words that we speak so we can stand for Jesus by the words we say. And the last thing I want you to see, and then I'll maybe give you a quick second if you have a comment or question, is in the compassion we show. Because at the very end of this, at the end of chapter 26, they basically say, Paul, you're, you're mad. You know, you've lost the plot, mate. But Paul says, look, all I know is I wish, verse 29, I would to God that not only thou but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds or these change. Paul said, I just really want you and everybody here listening to know about Jesus. Paul really cared. And that's what it comes down to is how much do we care? 
How much do we care that if they don't hear the message, they will die without Christ and go to hell? And they're going to hell every single day. Every single day, the cemeteries fill up. They need to have an opportunity to hear about Jesus. And the most loving thing we can do is to tell them the truth about Christ and about heaven and about hell. Will we show compassion and will we speak the truth in love? Thank you.